All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to another edition of The Less Stressed Life, where our goal is to teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their health back quickly. And today is a real pleasure for me and for you because Bob Miller is a, a mentor of mine. Whatever he says is something that's going to be cutting edge. It's going to be helpful. It's going to give you clues and puzzle pieces that you're missing to only make the picture clearer and brighter and ultimately help you get your health back. So Bob Miller is a traditional naturopath specializing in the field of genetics, specific nutrition. He earned his traditional naturopathic degree from Trinity School of Natural Health and is a board certified through the ANMA. In 1993, he opened the Tree of Life practice and he has served as a traditional nat naturopath for 27 years. For the past several years, he has been engaging in exclusively with functional nutritional genetic variants and related research, specializing in nutritional support for those with chronic Lyme. He's an educator, a researcher, a nutritional supplement formator, formulator, genetic and software creator, and ultimately a passion guy to interview to get some insight. So, Bob, thank you so much for being here today. I really do appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, we always have fun talking about this stuff, geeking out, as we say, and uh, trying to figure out these uh, these pathways that are so important, uh, particularly with the changing environment that we're in and the changing health challenges we're in. Uh, it's, I think, more critical than ever that we understand some of these pathways and how they impact us. Yeah, absolutely. And you're really what's great about what you do, Bob, is not only are you in the trenches, uh, you're also in the in the sort of the, the front lines, but also in the back lines. So you have a really unique perspective on on all of this information. And I always like to start, Bob, with your own story. So a lot of the people that we interview or many healthcare practitioners in general, they have their own hero's journey in terms of why they do what they do. And our audience is, is exhausted, burnt out adults. Why don't you tell us a little bit of your background story? Sure. Well, my first career actually was an executive in the uh, telecommunications industry. Uh, very stressful. And uh, at a very young age, in my early 30s, when I had a six-year-old and a four-year-old, uh, I started getting ulcerative colitis. And it got worse and worse and worse. I ended up in the hospital. I was there 21 long days. And uh, towards the end, I had lost half my blood. Then I hemorrhaged. And it was really a question whether I'd see the morning. Uh, I'll never forget the look on my wife's face, thinking, am I going to have a dead husband by morning with a six-year-old and, and four-year-old? And the response from the medical folks was, well, we need to cut out the colon. And of course, I'm a Pennsylvania Dutch background, so we're known to be a little stubborn. So <laughs> I was like, no, I don't think so. Uh, and of course, they got angry. You're going to be begging us to cut this out. Uh, you'll be in the hospital a couple of uh, weeks out of the year. Uh, you know, you're basically an idiot for not doing this. Uh, well, it was like, humor me. And I really didn't know what I was doing, but I just had this instinct of there's got to be a better way. And that's when I started looking at some, you know, some of the old time herbalism of, of, you know, slippery elm and things like that. And for whatever reason, I, I went into remission and uh, I'm 66 now. So I guess that was maybe, you know, 30 some years ago and uh, no, 40, 40 years ago uh, and uh, no, 30 some years ago. And my colon is just doing fine. Uh, no, it's interesting. Uh, just this summer with all of the stress, uh, I had a relapse. And interestingly, some of the things that we're going to be talking about today was once again, what got me back into uh, to remission. So, and I, and I think that might be part of my advantage that uh, by having an electronics background, you know, I think in schematics, I think in pathways, and that's the knowledge I'm bringing to the uh, genomics, looking at the, the pathways. So that's a little of my story. And uh, so that's how I got into this. Had it not been for that, I'd still probably be uh, an executive in telecommunications. Yeah, I didn't know that, Bob. And what's interesting about that is, is that when you have that story, it's also a mission driven purpose of, hey, had I had that removed, there's no telling if my health would have gotten better, because I probably wouldn't have addressed the reasons why it was having to be removed in the first place. And also having the motivation of, well, if it were other people that are out, if it happened to me, who else could this have happened to? And I need to wear that as a, 
as a badge for me to, to, to guide me as to what my purpose is. So thanks for sharing. I didn't know that about you. And um, it kind of gives a little bit of background in terms of that fighting spirit, the, the not taking just the, the traditional approach. So, so then, okay. So then as far as what we just talked about in terms of you have developed uh, a lot of, a lot of information and research and, and pathways that help educate providers. And as you know, we're, we are exhausted. You mentioned 2020 has just been a, a crazy year with so many things going on between the, the elections and, and the, the protesting, not to mention the, the virus. And so you've come up with a really amazing breakthrough in how the, the NOx enzyme and we, what cycle you call it um, and how that relates to adrenal function. So why don't you give us sort of the beginning, middle and end on, on, on where you are and what you've, where you've come from on that whole pathway? Sure, yeah, we've been researching for years and I believe some of these last things we found uh, may be the most uh, significant. So I'm going to so show some charts in a moment, but for now, I just want to talk about our immune system. I mean, what a miracle we are. I mean, it's truly astonishing that we eat fats, carbohydrates, proteins, drink water, breathe air, and expose to sunlight, and everything gets made from that. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. Although I you know, live and breathe this every day, I'm still in awe at the miracle of the human organism. Just astonishing. Uh, now, your DNA is what makes the enzymes that takes one substance and turns it into another. And when we have genetic mutations or you know, what type might be called a SNP or some people are now saying, let's just call it what's not typical, your DNA may not make some of those enzymes as well as they should and substance A doesn't get turned into substance B. And that's really the essence of what we're looking at. But I often refer to it as the 3D chess game played underwater. Uh, because this is so complex. There isn't simple answers. And I think we're going to look back someday and say, oh, this genetic mutation means this and we need to do that. I think we're going to look back someday and saying that really was quite naive. Now, one of the things that we're seeing from a stressed out standpoint, when I talk to elementary school teachers who've taught just five years, and I say to them, compare and contrast your students today versus five years ago. Every one of them tells me the children are more stressed, they're more anxious, they can't focus, they're more irritable. If you look at the medical statistics, autoimmune disease among children is skyrocketing. Uh, just think about diabetes. When I was a kid, we used to call it adult onset diabetes. Now children are getting it. The inflammatory bowel diseases, skyrocketing among children. Uh, the autoimmune is just going up and up and up. When I talk to college professors and say, tell me about the freshmen, it's like, oh boy, particularly the boys, they're snowflakes, okay? Everything upsets them. They need safe spaces. You know, they, uh, you know I need a coloring book. It's like, seriously, dude? <laughs> so, uh, and it's not their fault. It's because of what's happening. So as you know, you know, our genetics aren't changing. I mean, we aren't any different today than we were 50 years ago or 100 years ago. But I believe what's happening is our environment is changing. And I think we're going to look back someday and say, oops, to a lot of things. You know, for example, many years ago, buildings were burning down, people would die, so we found asbestos. And it was like, cool, we're not going to lose lives because buildings burning down. Then we found, oops, asbestos. Then we came across with lead hey, this makes your paint better. This makes your engine work better. Oops, you know, lead poisoning, which is now a big deal. So I think we're going to look back someday on some of the things we're doing today and say, what were we thinking? Okay. For example, we give our animals growth hormones so they get fatter faster and we can make more money. Woohoo. However, that gets passed on to us. And we'll talk a little bit about mTOR and autophagy and how that increases mTOR which is inflammatory. When I was a kid, you know, we had uh, the milkman came with glass jars, glass bottles. Now everything's plastic. And those plastics, as we all know, are xenoestrogens. So what's happening? Again, when I was 12 years old, the girls I went to school with looked like little girls. We know what they're looking like 
today. And we're seeing that, you know, male uh, fish and frogs are getting ovaries. And, you know, 10% of the population has always been gay, but the transgender sexual dysphoria is just going through the roof. When I talk to college professors, they'll say there's such a dramatic increase in the students. So don't call me he or she, call me we, they or them. So we're doing that. Then we're using glyphosate. And glyphosate, if you listen to Stephanie Seneff, she talks about how that is impacting uh, glycine. And that's needed in a process where we make something called heme, and we can get into that a little bit, but that is needed for detoxification, for turning our sulfites into sulfates and your cytochrome P450 phase one detox. So we're putting glyphosate on everything. And of course, you know, the makers of it said, not a problem, this is safe. Now we're finding, oops, okay. Uh, and the same way with our polyester clothing, 92% of the American water supply now has xenoestrogens from our polyester clothing, xenoestrogen. And then we're genetically modifying our foods and we're processing our foods, taking out all the nutrients. And then, you know, one of the ones that's controversial uh, and that is electromagnetic fields from our cell phones and our Wi-Fi. You know, when people pick up their, their cell phone, like, well, this is ridiculous. This can't hurt anything. I don't feel anything, okay. Uh, and the reason they don't is because it's a very low level. But this is a question, not a statement. You know, we're gonna have to see without doing any experiments is 24 seven, 365, year after year, EMF having an impact on us. And if we have time, we can get into that because what it does, it pushes more calcium into the cells that can combine with nitric oxide to make something called peroxynitrite. So I believe we have to look at, again, our children, you know, now that they're in school, in some of their schools, they've got Wi-Fi in the ceiling. They've got their iPads. You know, when I was a kid, you know, we used to go play in the woods and slosh around in the stream. Now they're <laughs> playing with their computers. Uh, constantly being exposed to Wi-Fi. I hear horror stories of uh, kids putting their cell phones under their pillow because they want to hear if a text message comes in. Uh, I think we're also going to look back someday on, uh, you know, Bluetooth in our ears. It's like, what are we thinking? Putting radio transmitters six inches from our brain, you know? And then, you know, nobody wants to stink, so we use antiperspirants. Well, guess what? They're made out of aluminum. I think someday we're going to look back and say, what were we thinking? Smearing aluminum into our armpits uh, because aluminum upregulates inflammation. It downregulates making something called tetrahydroboroptan for BH4. And if we don't have enough of that, we're depressed. So how many people are wired, tired, anxious, and depressed? Way too many. And I believe what we've done is we've done this to ourselves. So why do some people seem to be okay and others not doing well? Well, I believe that the people who are not doing well in today's environment have genetic mutations that wouldn't have mattered 50 to 75 years ago, but matter today. So for example, if you don't, uh, if your calcium voltage channels are a little weak, you're gonna be more impacted by EMF. Uh, if your NOx enzymes that give an immune response are overactive and they're a little stimulated a little too much, that's what we're going to talk about today. They go into overactivity. If you don't make enough glutathione, before we had all this chemical exposure, it didn't matter. Now it does. And I also need to talk about mycotoxins a little bit. There's some concern because we're making our houses tighter and, uh, and we're not using plaster anymore. Uh, some of the materials that are being used like drywall, if they get wet, they absorb moisture and they're making mycotoxins. I know Dr. Klinghart believes that uh, EMF will strengthen mycotoxins. So all of these are putting an inflammatory burden on us, increasing something called mast cells. And I'll show some charts on that. So I believe what we've done is we have created the proverbial perfect storm. And purely speculative here, but there is some thought that if COVID would have hit 50 years ago, we might be having a not so nice flu season versus pandemic because the, uh, you know, what's taking people out with, uh, with COVID is not just the flu, it's the cytokine storm, which is exactly what we're gonna talk about today. So I am getting a little concerned that uh, inadvertently, 
or maybe, you know, without enough caution, we've done some things to our environment that have uh, really harmed us. And by the way, I'm not some, you know, tree hugging hippie that's, you know, <laughs> uh, but I think we have to be solid scientists here and recognize that uh, we've done potentially some things that cumulatively might be having an impact on us and then harming those who have genetic weakness that again, you know, some of the children that are autistic today, we have to ask the question, had they been born 50 years ago, what would they be like? I would hypothesize they might be high strung, high spirited, not autistic. I mean, I can't think of any other reason why we would see autism going from one out of a thousand to maybe one out of 45 looking like it's gonna increase because nothing's changed genetically. We're no different today than we were 50 years ago, but uh, we are exposed to much more toxins. And I think we've, uh, we're gonna look back someday and say, oops. And, and hopefully uh, we'll be wise enough to uh, start making some major changes because I am a little concerned uh, what's gonna happen to us. I, I just uh, had a client the other day who said they went to get their teeth cleaned and their dentist said, we can't believe it. We are seeing so many people with chipped teeth and jaw problems because they're clenching their teeth. Everyone's in a state of anxiety. And you had mentioned earlier, uh, you know, just turn on the news for 10 minutes and people are really becoming unglued over everything. And, uh, you know, from, and I don't want to make any political statements other than that, you know, political sides used to, you know, argue policy, but still go out to dinner together. Now it's like, I want to hurt you. And, uh, you know, the, the political differences, the racial differences, the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the cultural differences, they just seem to be colliding where everyone is just more angry, more sensitive. And uh, even if I, if I stop for a cup of coffee and I just talk to the, to the clerk at the store, I say, oh, how are you finding people? They're like, oh my gosh. You know, they throw the money at me. They're angry. They're frustrated. There seems to be this level of uh, frustration that I believe, I mean, there's multiple causes. Somebody says they have the answer. I wouldn't believe it, but I believe there's multiple reasons. Primarily, we're increasing our mast cells. We're increasing our histamine. We're increasing our dopamine. We're increasing our glutamate in our neuroinflammation. And I don't think there is a simple answer. You know, if somebody says it's this thing or this SNP, uh, it might be a factor, but I'm afraid that this is multifactorial. Many, many factors coming together. And uh, I wish there was easy answers, but I don't think we have any of those. But we, we have to look at all of the causes and try to start addressing this uh, piece at a time, or I'm afraid that this could continue to be a a downward spiral. So after that, are you ready to get into the pathways? I am. I just want to make one comment, which is which is just more of a testament to you because you bring it into such an ease is a very complex subject. And there are, like you said, 3D chess game played underwater. And Bob, you really have a gift in terms of bringing it into a very understandable, almost like, how do we not know this kind of way? Like, it's like putting it right in front of us. Like, yeah, all the things that we say oops for, it, it, it's almost like crazy that we're doing such blatantly harmful things. No, number one. The other thing I have to notice about you is just the ability to not crystallize it, but not be overwhelmed by it because it's disconcerting and it gets to the point where even if you're not a tree hugger sort of way you get concerned that you can get past that point of no return and and that can be very very overwhelming and i think it's a lesson for exhausted burnt out people to bring a energy about it where that's part of the protocol of of putting everything together and customizing a recovery program, which we can talk about once you go through the cycles so that you maybe tell us a little bit about, okay, now that we know about this, what can we do about this? And, and one of them is just what you, how you conduct your own, your own pulse, you know, mm -hmm. your own, your own way of not being overwhelmed by it. So, so kudos in a lot of ways. So why don't you give us the understanding of what we know about how how the the nox enzyme and the stress response has so many multi layers to it 
Absolutely. Well, what I'd like to do, I'm going to do a screen share here. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to share a screen here that, um, and you're seeing the screen okay there? Yeah, we can see it. Okay. So um, what you'll see here in the dead center, and I'll try to, uh, I'll try to draw here if I can. Let me get my, uh, my drawing tool here. There we go. So right here in the center, there's an enzyme called NOx, NADPH oxidase. And I've been talking about this for a long time. And the reason I've been talking about this for a long time, I believe it's central to what is occurring with so many things that we're seeing today. Now, what this stands for is NADPH oxidase. And what that means is that when we're faced with a pathogen, a bacteria or something else, again, what a miracle we are. We take iron, I'm sorry, we take uh, oxygen from iron and we take a, an electron from NADPH and this NOx enzyme makes a free radical called superoxide and hydrogen peroxide. And that makes something called mast cells. Now these mast cells are white blood cells that protect us. If we didn't have these mast cells, we would die of infection. We wouldn't survive. This is what protects us. Then these mast cells say, okay, I'm gonna make some what are called cytokines, inflammatory molecules, and I'm gonna make some histamine, and we're really gonna kick up a fuss here and we're gonna kill this pathogen. And again, if we didn't have this, we'd die of infection. So this is not bad, critical for survival. Now what happens is I am really intrigued by a molecule called NADPH. Uh, NADPH is made inside the body and we can have genetic mutations. We don't make enough of it. It wears completely two different hats. One, it helps make something called nitric oxide down here in the bottom right. Nitric oxide is very, very important for uh, us to make, uh, to have good blood flow. And if we don't have enough nitric oxide, uh, we're gonna have high blood pressure and all kinds of uh, things related to our cardiovascular system. So we need to have adequate nitric oxide. And you can see here that NADPH is a cofactor to make that. So if you don't have enough nitric oxide, many times cold hands and feet. Most people have never heard of this antioxidant called thriodoxin, but it's a really important one. And again, it needs NADPH to keep recycling this so it keeps doing its job. Many people have heard of glutathione and glutathione is uh, the master antioxidant. And after it does its job, it becomes oxidized. And again, we need NADPH to recycle it, okay? So if we don't have enough NADPH, we are not going to recycle that antioxidant. Now, we also make something called heme. Yes, that's kind of like your hemoglobin. And that heme needs to turn into ferritin. Once again, we need NADPH. We need something called biliverdin that calms down mast cells, NADPH. And NADPH is used in a lot of processes, but a final one we're looking at here is how we stimulate the production of antioxidants. But look at what happens here. NADPH does all those good things, but when the NOx enzyme says, we've got a foreign invader, you know, it's kind of like the National Guard, it stops what it's doing and goes fights a battle. Now, when we have a short infection, Again, without this, we die of infection. So we shut off our antioxidants, not shut off, slow down our antioxidants. And it took me a while to figure that out. What well, makes sense when you have a desire to kill something, you want a temporary reduction in your antioxidants. So we go in for the kill. And then ideally we go back to homeostasis and the antioxidants start doing their job. But if you look at this chart here, you'll see that EMF, sulfites, dopamine, homocysteine, something called aldosterone, air pollution. And I'm hearing from so many of my clients in California who are struggling from the air pollution. Glutamate, the iron, something called oxalates, high histamine and upregulated mTOR all stimulate this excessively. So we make superoxide, we make hydrogen peroxide, we make mast cells, we make cytokines, and we make histamine. Now, so many people have high histamine problems. And if someone's interested, they wanna hear an entire lecture on histamine. If you just go on YouTube and search Dr. Jill Carnahan, who's you know, extremely well-known, uh, we've done a couple of interviews. 
And uh, we just did a whole interview on histamine where I go through all the problems with histamine. Uh, it was done in, uh, see, it would have been done in uh, late uh, September uh, or no, or mid-October. So this histamine has to be broken down. So there's a molecule called uh, cortisol that is made by the adrenal glands and it actually comes from progesterone. So if we're low in progesterone or have a genetic mutation that we don't convert progesterone to cortisol or the adrenal glands are weak, we don't make enough cortisol. It's not on this chart, but cortisol also turns into cortisone, which is anti-inflammatory. That's why people sometimes take prednisone. Cortisol inhibits histamine. So this is why so many people are in adrenal fatigue because they're just making so much histamine. And we'll get into that. There's also an enzyme called dynamine oxidase that breaks down histamine. People can have mutations on this dynamine oxidase if they don't make enough of that. And then sometimes people think, well, I need to be healthy. So I'm going to start eating some healthy foods like kombucha and miso and sauerkraut. They're all high histamine foods. So if you have some difficulty with this enzyme and you start eating high histamine foods, you can actually make things worse. See what that happens when somebody thinks they're making dietary changes to feel better and they feel worse. Then there's an enzyme called histamine and methyltransferase that clears histamine. You can have genetic mutations on here, or we need a cofactor called SAMI that's part of methylation and if we don't have enough SAMI, it doesn't matter whether this gene is mutated or not, we're not going to clear the histamine. And then when we make mast cells, that will actually inhibit histamine. And then finally, there's a process called glucuronidation that clears histamine. So if we have anything that would be overproducing the histamine and any of these pathways that don't clear it, that histamine can go high. And so many people are having allergies and people tend to think of histamine as just runny nose, but it affects the, the, uh, the mental state, it can be excitatory. It can affect the cardiovascular system. It can affect the digestive system. Back to my original question, uh, what was my health challenge? I just found out recently I had high histamine. Then there's also, I'm very excited about this, there's an enzyme called HDC, histidine decarbolase, that turns an amino acid called histidine into histamine. And lo and behold, that's why I had my flare this summer. I had upregulated HDC. So I started doing some iodine, did some things to convert, not allow testosterone to go into estrogen, started drinking some green tea and uh, reducing some of the high histidine foods. And within days, I went back into remission again. Probably induced by stress, by everything that was, was occurring. And then the MAOA gene can be uh, difficult as well, mutated that we don't call the clear the histamine. Now, we used to think that, you know, histamine was allergies and let's just take some antihistamines and all will be well. However, I do have a little concern when you take an antihistamine because one of my question is, well, if you block it, that's what they do, they're blockers. Where else does it go and what does it do? So we might put a roadblock up and it may just go somewhere else. So antihistamines are fine, but interestingly, long-term use of them depletes the DAO enzyme that uh, breaks down histamine. Hate when that happens. Now, here's what's really exciting here, Dr. Riff. And this was all based upon peer-reviewed literature. We didn't make this stuff up. That when we make histamine, it will come back and it will stimulate an enzyme called renin. And you know, if anybody's ever studied medically, they know it's the RAAS system where renin stimulates something called angiotensin one, angiotensin two, and then aldosterone. And renin is stimulated by high glucose, free radical called superoxide. We've already spoken about mast cells and histamine, dopamine or testosterone. All of those will stimulate this. Angiotensin one and two are inflammatory and vasoconstrictive. There's an enzyme called ACE2 that takes these and puts them into something that is anti-inflammatory and vasodilative. Aldosterone will cause you to hold on to sodium, excrete potassium. And then 
because angiotensin II will stimulate interleukin-6. I am really stunned by how many things interleukin-6 will cause. Now, it's modulatory, so it can have some benefit, but again, in excess, it's a problem. Interleukin-6 is behind depression, suicidal ideations, diabetes, dementia, and the list goes on and on. Oh, inflammatory bowel disease is all created by excess interleukin-6. But look what interleukin-6 does. It stimulates the NOx enzyme. And then, whoa, the NOx enzyme stimulates interleukin-6. So one of the things we're looking at is do people have genetic mutations in renin? And when they do, they're actually gain of function that they go faster. I'm very concerned with mutations in ACE2. And what I'm finding in our consultations is that when people have mutations in ACE2, which is lack of function, we're not turning these inflammatory vasoconstrictive molecules into anti-inflammatory vasodilative. Now, what's interesting, COVID comes in using ACE2. And so consequently, that's why for some people they get COVID, they didn't even know they had it. Other people had mild symptoms and other people are gasping for breath and dying. Likely multiple causes. And I'm not saying this is all of it, but if ACE2 is already weak, COVID comes in, we could theoretically be making more interleukin-6 and NOx. And there is literature out there that the cytokine storm, not COVID itself, but the cytokine storm is related to upregulation of NOx2. And uh, interleukin-6 plays a role. Now, Brady Kinnan is also getting into that. And I don't think we'll have time for that, but ACE2 also breaks down Brady Kinnan. So it's like interesting. So as COVID comes in and weakens this ACE2, that creates a problem. So we've got histamine stimulating this. Then as we stimulate the NOx enzyme, we make superoxide. Superoxide will combine with nitric oxide to make something called peroxynitrite, which is very oxidizing, depletes your glutathione. And this superoxide comes back and stimulates the renin enzyme. So what do we have here? We have what's called a positive feedback loop that this thing just feeds upon itself. And look who some of the culprits are, mycotoxins. And again, we're concerned mycotoxins are getting stronger. Borrelia, Lyme disease. So I find the sickest of the sick are the ones that have Lyme and mycotoxins stimulating these mast cells. Now, just as a side note, these mast cells will stimulate something called interleukin-13. And if there's mutations on here, this will come back and further stimulate the mast cells and spin this thing even faster. So I've named this the, uh, the Holmes cycle uh, based upon a relative of mine who had a lot of influence. And I just gave it that name because the, the Miller cycle just didn't have a ring to it. I don't know why it did. <laughs> uh, and then we've also come up with the name, the NADPH steel where this precious NADPH is being overused by the NOx enzyme to make the mast cells. And as we just pointed out, this NADPH is needed for all those other important things. So there can be genetic mutations that you don't make enough NADPH. Then if you're stealing it to make all this inflammation, you're in a positive feedback loop. Now, interestingly, aluminum also stimulates the NOx enzyme. That's why it's used as an adjuvant in some vaccinations. So what are we doing? We're smearing aluminum chlorhydrate into our armpits. What were we thinking? So I would encourage anyone who's using an antiperspirant, give serious thought to changing their mind on that. And I was just at a conference over the weekend where more pathways, more and more, uh, more antioxidants are impacted by aluminum. And just think what we did. We, we drank Coca-Cola out of aluminum cans for a while. Brilliant, right? <laughs> and we sometimes have aluminum pots and pans. So an aluminum will also inhibit uh, the making of BH4, which is needed to make your nitric oxide. And if we don't have nitric oxide made, we get more superoxide made. So again, we've just created this perfect storm. 
So I believe there's so many things stimulating the NOx enzyme. Interestingly, just learned at a conference this weekend, vitamin D calms this down, vitamin A stimulates it. So particularly if we're concerned about the, uh, the cytokine storm, uh, I mean, we need vitamin A, but maybe taking excess to think that we're gonna protect our immune system may not be wise. And then mTOR, if we want, we can talk about that a little bit, but that is the growth of new cells. And without that, life doesn't exist. But um, it needs to be balanced with autophagy, the cleaning of the cells. And again, we don't have time to get into all of it, but we, if we don't have this mTOR and autophagy balanced, this mTOR will stimulate the NOx enzyme. So when I said there's no easy answers, uh, you can see now why. Now, what I think is happening a lot of time, I, I think when you look at this whole pattern here, I believe this is happening in a lot of people, upregulated NOx, upregulated mast cells, upregulated histamine, you know, coming back here and spinning this around, but there's probably 50 different ways this could occur. If you got glyphosate exposure and you don't turn your sulfites into sulfates, or you have genetic mutations that you don't turn your sulfites into sulfates, it could be the sulfites that's stimulating this. Uh, if you are living in California and you're breathing all this air pollution from the fires, it could be this that's stimulating it. Um, if you're not methylating properly and your homocysteine is high, it could be the high homocysteine. Um, if you have clostridia or you have genetic mutations in your dopamine and norepinephrine, it could be the dopamine. If you're of English or Irish descent, uh, oftentimes they overabsorb iron and that could be an issue. Or many times Northern Europeans and Germans have high glutamate. That will not only stimulate NOx, but inhibit ACE2. Or if you have spring and fall allergies, the histamine will create it. Uh, or if you live in a moldy house or you're exposed to so many xenobiotics that are uh, you know, toxins or xenoestrogens or have Lyme disease or you know, have your uh, router in your bedroom or live next to a cell tower. There are just so many things environmentally. Then if you have genetic mutations in ACE, if you have genetic mutations in HMOX that calm this down, if you don't make enough superoxide dismutase, if you don't make enough glutathione, if you overproduce histamine from histidine, or as we showed earlier, have weakness in any of the pathways that clear histamine, those can all be contributing factors. So I wish I said, and by the way, here's the magic bullet. We don't have any of those. <laughs> and if somebody tells you that, uh, be very suspicious because there isn't a magic bullet to fix this. So I think what we have to do is we have to get away from the pill for the ill and look at the individual person. And you know, one of the ways that uh, you can tell if your adrenals are tired, you know, you can do cortisol tests that'll measure your cortisol. Not every case of POTS is adrenal fatigue, but many times it is. If your blood pressure drops and you get dizzy when you stand up, that can be a factor. If you have vinegar and all of a sudden you're sneezing and feel terrible, you may not be breaking down your histamine. If you eat beef or pork chops and you feel terrible, you may have your histidine to histamine conversion being upregulated. So there is just so many answers. And if somebody says, Bob, what do I do? My answer would be, I don't know. We have to look at that person's genome. Did you live in a moldy house? Did you live next to farms where you had a well and possibly you're drinking glyphosate? Uh, do you have genetic mutations in the heme cycle? Uh, is your homocysteine too high? Those are all the things that I think uh, health professionals need to be looking at uh, because we don't have uh, simple answers. And unfortunately, we can try to do things that we think are helpful and they can actually be harmful. So sometimes when people are inflamed, it's like, well, I need glutathione, so I'm gonna take some N-acetylcysteine. Well, if you've got genetic mutations here or mycotoxins that inhibit it, that cysteine can actually be inflammatory. So then we think, okay, I need some glutathione. So master antioxidant, can't do any harm there. If you don't take your oxidized glutathione back to the reduced because of NADPH deficiency, hold on to your head here, Dr. Rosen. 
the glutathione will combine with oxygen to make superoxide, nitric oxide to make peroxynitrite. How paradoxical is this? Under the wrong conditions, taking glutathione could actually oxidize your DNA and deplete your glutathione. So you think you're doing good taking glutathione and you're actually backfiring. And then there's a big trend towards NAD. So, you know, you'll hear lots of podcasts on NAD, the youth molecule. Absolutely true. It supports your PARP enzymes. It supports mTOR versus autophagy. It helps you make your antioxidants. But if you've got mutations in NQ01, you can be stuck up here, which is inflammatory. And a hypothesis I have, which I think we'll find to be true, if you take too much NADPH or make too much NADPH while this is upregulated, you can feed the inflammation because this wears two hats. I often speak to physicians who do uh, NAD uh, infusions. And for some people it's like, oh my gosh, best thing I ever did. And other people will say the worst thing I ever did. Same with glutathione, best thing I ever did, worst thing I ever did. Same way with methylfolate. People see I have MTHFR. Oh my gosh, I need methylfolate. If you don't have enough NADPH, methylfolate is actually inflammatory and excitatory. So we can backfire so many ways. And we talked about, uh, you know, fermented foods. People think I'm going to rebuild my gut with fermented foods. But if they already have high histamine and they don't have enough DAO, the fermented foods backfire. And then finally, sometimes people say, well, I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to do smoothies. I'm going to do spinach, kale, and beet smoothies. And they're very high in oxalates. And if you have a leaky gut and you don't break down the oxalates, you've just made yourself worse by eating healthy. So that's why we call it the 3D chess game played underwater. No easy answers. And that's why I believe health professionals need to be measuring the DNA uh, looking where there's potential, and the key word is always potential weakness, and trying to step in and support it so that we can, uh, you know, bring homeostasis back so we don't make the mast cells, the histamine, the superoxide, deplete our glutathione, wear out our adrenals, jack up our glutamate. And then finally, when, when we have inflammation or infection, that can inhibit your glutamate to GABA conversion, Glutamate's what makes you intelligent, highly motivated go-getter. GABA's the don't worry, relax, be happy. But when we have inflammation or infection or mutations in the GAD enzyme or deficiencies in B6 and magnesium, many things can go wrong here, not just SNPs. You know, I'm not just a SNP guy that, you know, the SNPs is everything. If you've got mutations and you have B6 deficiency and magnesium deficiency, it's not gonna work, but you could have no SNPs at all. Perfect. But if you're depleted in B6 and magnesium and you've got inflammation or infection, that GAD enzyme, it doesn't matter whether you have perfect SNPs or not, it's not going to work and that glutamate's not going to turn into the GABA. So am I all about the SNPs? Yeah, but you got to look well beyond that. It's not just whether you have SNPs. Do you have the cofactors? Is it being overwhelmed? Is there anything that's suppressing it? So it makes it so complex. So that's why saying I need to take this nutrient based upon this SNP is flawed. We've got to look at a much bigger picture than that. So I believe we are, what we're seeing today, why people are so stressed out is we've got excess glutamate, we've got excess histamine, and we have excess dopamine. And I'll, and I'll wrap up my thoughts on the dopamine because dopamine will stimulate the renin enzymes. So one of the interesting uh, enzymes that breaks down dopamine is called something called COMT. And again, you can have mutations on COMT, but if you've got extra estrogen and low testosterone, testosterone supports COMT, estrogen suppresses, this COMT enzyme is not going to work whether you've got mutations or not. And then if you start eating a lot of cheese, tyramine foods, or you start taking boatloads of quercetin because you think that's going to break down your histamine, you can be jacking up your dopamine. And then SAMI is a cofactor. 
So again, if everything's perfect here, but you don't have the cofactor, it's like having a brand new car without gas. So there's a lot that can go wrong over here. So we can't just look at COMT and say, oh, because I have COMT, this or that. I'll never forget, I had a client who uh, was having you know, uh, headaches, uh, felt terrible, uh, and he was eating grapes and cheese, which was inhibiting COMT. Now, had weakness there to begin with, testosterone was low, estrogen was high, was eating cheese. I don't care what your COMTs are looking like, you're not gonna clear your dopamine. And your dopamine, when it's high, makes you very irritated. And you can also have mutations in the DBH enzyme, but clostridia in the gut will also impair dopamine and norepinephrine conversion. So I hope that gave you an idea as to how many things can go wrong here. And I don't wanna be discouraging. I'm just saying we really have to do our due diligence and you know, avoid some of these things. You know, Make sure you don't have mold in your house. Uh, give serious consideration to using aluminum in your armpits. Uh, be aware of if histamine foods create a problem. You know, get your genomics done. See where you might have some functional weakness. We're not talking about disease, disease SNPs here. That's, you know, that's what a geneticist does. We're talking about functional genomics where you look as though some function may be off and then taking the appropriate uh, remedial steps. So to sum it up, I believe that because of things that we've done to the environment, we are overstimulating uh, the, uh, they are overstimulating the, uh, the NOx enzyme. We're overstimulating the mast cells. We're overstimulating the histamine. It's all feeding back to just be one vicious cycle that keeps on going. Amazing, amazing stuff. And it, it, it answers the question that I get, and I'm sure, well, I don't know if you get it very much, but I get it a lot, is why do I need to have a genetic test? And uh, especially for the people that listen to this podcast, Bob, they're exhausted, they're burnt out, and they're usually conditioned to think about the four-point saliva test. And I was like, well, we need to do a genetic test. And, and why would I need to do a genetic test? So I now have a new educational tool to tell them, which is great. And thank you so much. Um, so, okay. So then as far as these perfect storms go, and you have these feed forwarding systems, and all of these variables that can really just continue to cause the fill in the blank problem where the person is exhausted. And these are really the worst of the worst that we're talking about. As you know, as you're very familiar with, the people that come to consult with you now are the ones that nobody else is helping. And they are filled with so many of these variables. So I guess the question would be, which, which is a, gonna be a difficult answer, is what do we do about it? And obviously you get a genetic test and you see where your potential weaknesses are, where your functional genetic test interpretation. And, and you've created software that can help the clinician to be able to highlight some of these areas that are the perfect storm that no one else is looking at, that they haven't considered, and they think that the supplement is the one size fits all. And just as there's a feed forwarding system and perfect storm of, of things that go bad, there's a good, there's hope. And there's, there's definitely, you've seen amazing transformations because those same tools and information that create perfect storms that cause the pins to go down can still cause those pins to go up. So I guess the long-winded question in that, Bob, is with the software and the intelligence of the software, which I know you're working really hard on, how can that help someone who is suffering and the practitioner so that they can then make a huge difference in that, in that person, given that that software is intelligent? Does that make sense? Do you understand that question? Yeah, absolutely. Well, when we say when the software is intelligent, all it does, it identifies, you know, do you possibly not make enough DAO? Which pathway that clears histamine may not be as robust? You know, do you need to support the ACE2 enzyme? Do you need to give the person superoxide dismutase? So, you know, when I often, you know, look at uh, people's genomes, I'll say, well, you don't look you're like that hard to figure out. And they'll say, you're the first person that said that. 
Well, and my answer is, well, I have an unfair advantage. I'm looking under the hood. And unless you're looking under the hood, you can make some very nice guesses, but that's all you're doing. Uh, and you know, you can do some anti-inflammatory things and they may or may not work. But I, but I think we're now at a point that we have to pinpoint and you know, zero in exactly where we need to go. And, uh, and that's the, the advantage of looking at the functional uh, genomics. Right. And also too, Bob, I'm listening to some of your old or not old, older in terms of your training for practitioners and some of those modules. And I remember some of your sayings in terms of you can, it depends when you talk to your consults, do they want to be a little more aggressive? Do they want to put a full court press on it? And I think it really necessitates a full court press in, in all ways, in terms of understanding the, the, the entire clinical picture and you're multitasking. It's not just a matter of taking methylfolate. It's, it's understanding that EMFs, no matter what your gene SNPs are, are going to constantly be stimulating the, the, that, that home cycle, knowing that inflammation is going to sedate so many things that are going to cause that home cycle. So that's going to be important. And just understanding that it, as a practitioner and someone who's listening to this, it really behooves you to understand your genetics, number one, and how the environmental, because you put a really nice chart together where it shows certain epigenetic or environmental things that will make that pathway work better or worse. And, and really it's, so I guess the question I would have to you is, how do you decide when you're working with your really toughest of the toughest case, how many things you do to full court press the, the issue? Well, and that, that varies. You know, one of the things I find interesting is that uh, people are all over the map. I mean, I see people that are taking 20 supplements and they have no problem with that. And if I suggest, you know, three to five, they're like, okay, cool. And then there's other people that they just freak out if you say you need to take more than three pills a day. So, um, so it's, it's interesting, you have to kind of get a feel for the person, you know, how aggressive they, they want to be. And, you know, again, I'm not a mental health person, but I believe there are some people that have psychological blocks to getting well. And there's just some people that'll just self-sabotage and it's like, let's not bother. But then there are people it's like, hey, I want to do whatever it takes. I want to get well, tell me what to do. So I, when, I, when I train doctors on this, I often say, let me tell you what's harder than knowing what to do, what the person will comply with. And uh, so I'm sure you're aware of that as well. Some people are like, hey, I'm in whatever I have to do. And others are like, well, let me just try this one thing and one pill and see what happens. And then, and that didn't work. And then it's like, oh, this doesn't work. So I'm going off to the next thing. And so anyway, you have to, uh, it's, I, I still think it's harder to figure out what the person will do than what we need to do. But uh, uh, that's, uh, so that's, there's no easy answers to that. Some people want to do everything they can. Others are just going to fight your tooth and nail every step. And it's like, well, this isn't going to work. Yeah. It, it's, it's an amazing tool that are just the, the whole way that you look at it and educate providers. It's changed my life in the way that I practice. So I want to thank you for that. I look at priorities and I look at removing expenses. I use the analogy, Bob, of income and expenses. And if I'm a business consultant and we're looking at having you have a, a higher bottom line, it's much easier to stop the bleeding, if you will, and get the, get the things that you're unnecessarily spending income on. And that just in and of itself will give you a little more disposable stuff. And then if you want to play on the other side of the coin and support a little bit more of an income, then we can do multitasking like that. So just want to thank you for that. I, I think it's an invaluable tool. I really feel it's ahead of its time and, uh, and hopefully more and more practitioners and patients alike will, will, will use the information because really it is the sickest of the sick and it is only getting worse. And there's a lot of hope in that what you've learned and what you've taught can really, really be helpful. So sure. before we share how we can get in contact with you, Bob, I always like to ask my guests um, a parting question. And that question is, okay, what would the, the wiser sage like Bob tell the younger, naive, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed Bob 
what he needed to do to be able to help his health accelerate or have more energy or just have a healthier way of living that could have maybe springboard or avoided some really hard times? What would you tell that, Bob? Well, spend a little more time relaxing and playing. Uh, that'd probably be the big one. Uh, I found that probably I was a little in, too intense over the years and uh, didn't spend enough time uh, relaxing. Uh, but also, you know, I wish I would have known this stuff sooner uh, because, I, you know, I probably did shoot myself in the foot sometimes uh, doing some of these things that uh, we just didn't we just didn't know about. But uh, for me personally, it would have been, uh, you know, spend a little more time playing with the kids, uh, you know, chill out just a little bit more. But, uh, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, as they say, I guess. Yeah, well, probably too much glutamate going on there back in the day. Would have had uh, to tell the younger Bob how to clear glutamate out a little quicker. A little bit. Yeah, I do have a genetic predisposition to higher glutamate. But on the other hand, that's what's allowed me to connect the dots. So, Right. You know. Yes. And that's a good point in terms of the bell-shaped curve and understanding that you, it's not, that NOx cycle is not bad. It's necessary for, for survival but too much or too little of it is the chronic problem of health problems. So, okay, so if, if I'm a provider, um, why don't you share with us, uh, and, and also even if I'm, if I'm not a provider and, and everything you said makes sense, how do we get in contact with you and, and what do you offer in terms sure. of um, education? Well, the, uh, for the practitioners only, if you're a you know, licensed practitioner or a certified practitioner, uh, you can go to functionalgenomicanalysis or uh, DNA supplementation.com and uh, you can request a, a 30 day free trial and try it out. Now, also on that website, there's a, there's a course, a certification course. First couple of modules are free. So, this isn't for everybody. This is not for the faint of heart. If somebody wants a two page report that tells you what to do, uh, this isn't it. So, <laughs> uh, this is for the very serious practitioner who wants to learn, wants to dig. Uh, if anybody has any questions, Yvonne Lucchese is my executive director. Uh, we didn't talk about the supplements, but the supplements we recommend is functional genomic nutrition. And again, this is for practitioners only. This is not available to the, uh, to the public. So that's where they can go. Uh, if anyone wants to get a hold of our office, I don't have the, uh, you know, the contact information there, but it's just, uh, you know, tolhealth.com. Uh, but also, you know, you do this work and, uh, you know, I'd highly recommend that, uh, you know, people contact you if they want to do this uh, as well, because there's only one of me and I can't uh, always see everybody that wants to, wants to do this stuff. So that's why I'm training, training doctors. So if, if you are a, a physician or a chiropractor or just even a health coach, uh, you can do this work. But uh, and when I say work, I mean it. It's not a uh, plug it in and it tells you what to do. So if somebody's looking for, gee, this software will just tell me what supplements to give, um, don't bother. Uh, this is for the person who's very serious, is willing to study, wants to dig into this a little bit. And although we're trying to make the software easier to understand uh, all the time, uh, it's still for the practitioner who uh, wants to dig into it and, and do some hard work. Yeah, there's a learning curve for sure. Um, but like you said, just in, before we even got started, there's new discoveries all the time. And it just are those aha moments. And I'm sure like uh, some light bulbs go off in your head and think about that old, older, difficult client that you didn't have that piece of, of the puzzle for. And now it, it just makes everything so worthwhile, especially when you see their life turn around and their life does turn around, which is, is, which is awesome stuff. So, so Bob, thank you so much for being here today. Um, I always learn so much when I hear from you. It makes me feel like I'm ignoring certain parts of the uh, pathway planner. Now that I see that though, I'm like, okay, I got to go back up into there a little bit more. Um, but that's awesome information. I, I think that the listener is going to get so much out of this today. And I really just want to thank you for all that you do and wish you continued success and great health for you and your family going forward. Well, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to chat with you and uh, thank you for the kind words and, uh, I can just promise everybody we're going to be working as hard as we can to continue to research. I'm very blessed. My, uh, my son's following in my footsteps. He's uh, now he's his master's in uh, pharmacogenomics and he does a lot of the research. So uh, we make a good team. And uh, the bottom line is we want to make a contribution to humanity. That's, that's what we want to do. So thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into today's show. 
If you like what you've heard and you're interested to see if you're a good fit to work with our Adrenal Awakening program, here's what to do next. Head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply and book an appointment to speak to our team. Here's how it works. We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, where exactly do you want to be with your health and where are you now? Number two, what are the genetic components that haven't been discovered that are impacting your health? And number three, what are the environmental triggers that may be overlapping with these genetic components keeping you from getting optimal health? Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make that happen. We've helped clients all over the world transform their lives, quadruple their energy, and fix their metabolism, and make the world a better place. To see if you can do the same thing, head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply. I'm Dr. Richard Joel Rosen, and we'll talk to you soon.